This podcast is protected under the laws of the United States and other countries. Unauthorized duplication, distribution, or exhibition may result in civil liability, criminal prosecution, and the wrath of the tall man. <laughs> Boy! Hey, let's talk about you, the ID10T community events at ID10T.com, like Russ Stevens, a.k.a. Cool Movies Darth, who uh, has started a podcast called 90 for Chill, uh, which Russ says is dedicated to movies with a runtime between 74 and 99 minutes, the time frame that I feel is ideal. Russ, I could not agree with you more. That is a fantastic idea. Uh, Russ goes on to say there are times you need a cinematic fix but don't have time for the latest Scorsese masterpiece or offering from a comic book universe. There's also times when you know you need a conclusion to prevent a binge costing you a whole night. Um, my guests and I try to follow these guidelines as we chat up features that are definitely worth your time and are beyond easy to make time for. 90 for Chill, the podcast, can be found on all major podcast platforms at 94chill.com and that's spelling out 90 uh, N-I-N-E-T-Y 4-F-O-R chill um, so there you go thank you so much for sharing Russ a uh, really great idea for a podcast events at id10t.com for everyone else hello there welcome to 90 for chill the podcast with Cat Bus Russ this is your host Cat Bus Russ if you want to follow what I'm watching and possibly know what's the next episode is going to be about you can follow my letterbox the username there is cm darth that's c as in cool m as in movies darth as in a sith lord and this week we're going to close out 2023 with another conversation with my big sister the poetic critic and there's a few surprises i would say uh her possibly favorite movie of 2023 isn't Barbie now? And it's one that I just had a feeling she was going to dig, even though I haven't even seen it yet. But I think she gives a strong recommendation for it. Otherwise, I tried my best to binge a bunch of movies to make sure I've got a pretty wide spectrum of what could possibly qualify as the discovery of 2023 for 90 for Chill, the podcast. So with that said, I will uh, get on to my review of The Mandatory Cronenberg, and then we'll get on to the conversation with The Poetic Critic. Sex. Male. Family. Child. Divorce. No. Professor Freud. Dr. Jung. I've simply opened a door. It's for the young men like yourself to walk through it. Perhaps she's the one for your experimental treatment. Tell me about the first time you can remember being beaten by your father. It's exciting to me! And how is your little Russian patient? There was the most dramatic improvement. Is she a liking? Oh, certainly. If you ever want to take the initiative, I live in that building there. Why should we put so much effort into suppressing our most basic natural instincts? Never repress anything. I want you to punish me. There's a rumor running around Vienna that you've taken one of your patients as a mistress. Surely you didn't think I'd let you go without putting up a fight. Don't you think we ought to stop? Do you want to stop? You still love him. Will you come back to us now?
Sometimes you have to do something unforgivable just to be able to go on living. It would not be a year in film, or at least a year in 90 for Chill the Podcast with Cat Bus Russ, if a David Cronenberg feature didn't get a mention. So I have come across A Dangerous Method from 2011, starring Viggo Mortensen, Kira Knightley, and Michael Fassbender. A story about the... I guess the transition of uh, psychoanalytic theory from the Freudian roots to what would uh, carry on post-World uh, War II. It's the story of primarily about Michael Fassbender's character, uh, Carl Jung, and his relationship with a patient. Um, shoot. Trying to find the right window here. Uh, Sabina Spielin, sorry, Russian Jew, um, who he helps get from a near hysterical state to a burgeoning uh, psychoanalyst herself. And also his relationship with uh, Sigmund Freud. Uh, played by Viggo Mortensen. Kira Knightley, it plays Sabina. And how he's dealing with the father figure and his eventual his eventual feeling of betrayal because of stringent concepts. It's a fun investigation of how religion plays into this. And it's based off of a play which is was inspired by a book. So it's, um, I mean, the script is just, I'd say, brilliant. And the performances nail down the point of every, well, you could say what you'd like about the how historical accurate the portrayals would be. But the message, um, I mean, the dealing with religion and protecting of it and trying to eliminate it from the theory just to accept things, uh, Jewish concepts versus uh, Christian. It's uh, really fascinating. And you get some great characters like, well, I say great characters. These are real people. Um, you have Vigo, uh, not Vigo Mortensen, I'm sorry, uh, Vincent Cazal, uh Dang it, I gotta <laughs> really, uh, let's see, who was it? Oh, yeah, Vincent Cassell, who's excellent in damn near everything. Um, he's a, a, basically as the, I'm trying to, I'll have to get his name as well to make this really effective, I believe. Otto Gross, a... Another psychoanalyst, but he's really more of a hedonist, and it leads to confusion in uh, Carl Jung's life. Basically, like you can't if you refuse to be stringent that uh, to like Freud is, you're gonna have to dabble. So it becomes a really a, t- a story of love between. Well, as I said earlier, it's father figure, daughter figure, 
lover uh, muse it's it covers so much it really uh makes it makes psychoanalysis fun even if a lot of this is outdated and even acknowledges that um like freud basically said yeah in a hundred years we're gonna be dismissed and well there you go freud and all his sexual um obsessions so uh Cronenberg is able to deliver his some of his directorial flares. The sex scenes are good, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, and everybody's gives Cronenberg what he wants. I think the only thing that would uh, hinder this film is a recommendation. And honestly, no, you should see this movie now that I've gone through all of this. Um, is that it is based off a of play. Uh, but I would say with the characters and just the jet setting involved, it might, might've been served better by being a film just because like, oh, we got to jump to Vienna. We got to jump to America at one point. It's, um, great scenes. I don't know how well it would play as a play because you're just jumping from scene to scene. No real connective tissue i suppose and that is a flaw i guess is we just well let's just still they have to just jump to uh from 1904 to 1906 to 1912 i believe by the end it's about 1916 or so i mean just before the soviet revolution i mean the bolshevik revolution and the rise of the soviet union and uh real sad stuff because it basically um, kind of implies that the quest, the yeah, the quest for knowledge, just led to very depressing ends. Uh, I mean, Freud in exile in London, a uh, young outliving everybody who was important to him, uh, Sabina getting, uh, despite becoming a great tool of the Soviet Union is murdered for being Jewish by the Nazis. It's uh, a time capsule, I guess. And, you know, something... I get... I mean, I guess the message really is that, okay, we're going to be aware that things will constantly change. But we gotta figure a way to make it so that everybody can make it through that. And, you know, these well-meaning people ended up doing their best, and it's tragic that they haven't, uh, we are still stuck in a chaotic world. And it goes down to, do we just accept that, or do we look for solutions? And the characters just all have heartbreaking relationships because of that and heartbreaking conclusions. Uh, I think I could watch this again just because of my um, issues with mental illness. I mean, I'm clinically depressed. I have no question about that. But I've also had, you know, my last, my only two official girlfriends outside of junior high were both um, people dealing with intense mental illness. And then you look at the people, the um, girls I've 
uh, feel closest to. And I want to understand this. So this movie kind of really touched me just because of A, wanting to understand all of this. And um, I'm glad Cronenberg can deliver upon that. So, um, I mean, it's not going to be... I mean, there's just so many much work from Cronenberg I need to catch up on that I'm not going to call this a must-see uh, I mean, one of his legendary features, you know, body horror is going to be what it is. But, you know, I still got to get around to, I believe, Dead Ringers. And uh, I don't want to... Well, I think Dangerous Liaisons was Cronenberg. So you correct me in the comments. So, But, yeah, uh, it's going to be tough because I'm really watching this to see if Cronenberg can recapture director of 2023 i mean sorry the director of 90 for chill the podcast with cat bus russ little hands says it's time to rock and roll bring the noise of 2023 essentially for 90 for chill the podcast with cat bus russ and the end of 90 for chill the podcast 90 for chill.com the podcast get off that pod bean feed folks and you know you gotta talk everything's about closure at the end of the year so i got the poetic critic here and we're gonna close everything out you know to start just our regular movie banter now besides for me telling her I told her so without even seeing a movie <laughs> that she'd enjoy. So, what? So, have you seen Paddington Two? I guess have we gotten around to those? I locked it on Letterboxd uh, well, last month. Yes. Okay, I didn't go that far back. Like I was looking at the Letterbox notes. Poetic critic. What? Nineteen hundred movies. Me. Nine hundred. So yeah. Um, so that, you know, you seem to get, get around to more films than I do. Get a sports team. Get one of those cool scarves. Doctor Who's scarf is not as cool as, like, a Newcastle United one. But, um, yeah, so you saw Wonka. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy to eat my words, so to speak. Uh, well, it looked And the chocolate. See, now you just ruined it. Oh, Sorry. But, yes, uh, I was curious about it in a way I wasn't with a lot of other stuff opening. But then they lifted the embargo about a week before it opened in this country because it had already been playing for a week internationally in a lot of markets. And just about everybody was surprised that the reviews came out as well as they did. It's not like brilliant, glowing reviews, but that it was... Way better than anybody thought this concept could be, or what the early trailers had to say. And I think part of it is that, well, they, that as is common they, for how movies are advertised, they did not really emphasize that this was a musical. Though I would argue that anybody familiar with the basics of uh, Charlie the Chocolate Factory and Willy Wonka would have expected songs in a movie like this. But 
the original songs used in the film, I think there's six or seven, thinking offhand, are extremely good. Good and it's a deli- as several critics have pointed out, it's very deliberately an old-fashioned kind of children's fantasy musical. Now, there's no none of the songs are trying to hit the top forty or TikTok or anything like that, and they're quite charming and witty in a way that, as far as a musical written for the screen goes, I'm not sure we've had since maybe some of the early 90s Disney and Muppet movies, mm-hmm. in a sense. If you remember that style, you have this. Mm-hmm. But also, one of the things that... There is a, a fair deal of debate I found, I'm noticing in long reviews as to whether Timothée Chalamet was miscast in this part or not. I found him quite likable. Mm-hmm. This is another thing that doesn't really come through in the trailer so much, because... This is very much the awkward, dorky, youthful years of Willy Wonka. He's not the cunning, cynical guy we know from the book, or especially the adaptations, which, if anything, turn that up. Now, he, this, this guy's relatively innocent. and he, In the early going, he, he, he's just thinking that what he's got to offer is enough. And it is, and he has to get smarter. Literally, a major plot point is that he's effectively illiterate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that ends up giving some of the best gags in the movie have to do with the fact that he can't read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's not, not good for the kid. I mean, I'm sure he overcomes it, but it's like... Well, he overcomes it with the help of the little girl, the little orphan girl. Uh, okay. Who she takes it upon herself to help teach him. All right. So, do we have a Cheer Up Charlie song? Uh, I would say no. Okay. All the all the musical numbers have really lively staging. The the slower ones uh, have some nice staging. Mm. Like the the big friendship song that Wonka little noodle dad for a moment is one of the lovelier stretches of the movie. And there is one slow bit near the end, but it's not very long. Now most of the songs are really lively, and just about everybody gets a number. Mm. There there are a lot of characters in this movie of significance because we have. The evil chocolate cartel. We have uh, the evil boarding house owners mm-hmm. who uh, trap Willie in a very long term contract in the early going. Oh, that that's just cruel that it turns out he's a fan of contracts after that. Well, that's one of the more amusing things about all the call forwards the movie has to stuff we okay. know is that a lot of them kind of get inverted that way. Mm. Like, his relationship with the Oompa Loompa is very, is very funny in part because it kind of turns the whole uh, issue of what the dynamic what he has with the Oompa Loompas is. Yes, yeah, so we're, we're correcting the robot chicken. Basically, I'm not <laughs> suggesting that. The, oh, it's are the a, dance numbers too hard for you? Are you tired? Hey, Slugworth, take care of, <laughs> take care of this. Boom. And a one, and a two. And, yeah, we suggested that uh, singing and dancing to explain things, that's just what they the loompa doopity do. Yes, okay. And uh, we we do get that song worked in the score with some new lyrics. Mm. 
And uh, I mean, it's about two two full hours yes. with credits, mm. oh, but so. it's very well paced. Oh, no, There's I... a lot going on. There's a lot of great minor jokes, and mm. like Rowan Atkinson gets a very funny role. Mm. <laughs> yeah, this one. There's some great dark comedy in the movie too. That's another thing the trailers don't really give away. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think when do we really catch on? Wait, back with. Willy Wonka 71. Did, when did we really catch on as children about the dark comedy? I remember when... Because it's just like, oh, I'm it's really... funny seeing somebody turn into a... Yeah. <laughs> turn into that, or, oh... Well, famously, some, even as kids, some people just see it as freaky. But when I started really reading critical reviews or books of reviews like Ebert or Malton... I, one of the things I think was very helpful in developing my tastes, watching movies, and being able to discuss them was realizing that not every, but there not everybody has the same feelings you do about a movie, and a good reviewer can do a good job of explaining why, from their perspective, it's maybe scarier than they think it should be uh, with Willy Wonka. Well, I mean, or not. Uh, Roger Ebert, especially. Yeah, Roger, Ebert, Roger Ebert loved it, and uh, but there were even back in 1971, there were some critics that thought this is just too weird. Well, at least more or less, just saying how Robert uh, Roger Ebert was an excellent crit- critic. Like you could totally dislike his takes, like yeah, but you can't argue his takes. Not not easily, no. Yes, but yeah. It is interesting, we were talking a bit about this in the last time I was on your show, is that it, by comparison these days, a lot of children's entertainment, at least what makes it to the big screen or through a company like Disney, is kind of watered down compared to what you get away with like well, even... 10, 15 years ago. I think part of it is that we did split up the... We, we split, had that split between what they call now call middle grade fiction versus young adult fiction mm. and kind of shunted a lot of stuff that it wasn't unusual to see middle graders reading more towards young adult. Right, yeah. And, and that that kind of led through into other forms of entertainment, like uh, the watering down of PG-13. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing about Wonka. It's a PG, and it's for understandable reasons, but it's a very clean PG. Yes. And, and you're wondering if people are just getting frustrated by how bland a lot of stuff is. Like That was the thing I noticed in a lot of reviews or just comments about Disney's recent, well, there's no really way to be around the list, but Wish really ate it. At the box office. Yeah, I think it's going to make its money back on. Well, I. Oh, it's not anywhere close. Well, no, I was just saying it'll make its money back on Disney Plus, whatever. Well, that's not Disney. how it works. Right. Oh, no, no, no. We, again, the WGA and S, 
in SAG after. Yeah. I, I'm uh, not sure what the revenue stream's going to be for the movie that ate it that hard at the box. Well, the office. toys will pick up once uh, they... The uh, merchandising character, as yeah. they would... Uh, as Ryan yeah, on Screen no, Pitch. As Screen Pitch Meeting put it, it's just the most adorable little merchandising opportunity. Yes. But, no, the, so the toys have noticeably sold poorly. Well, nobody's seen the movie yet. Well, I mean... How long and how long are they supposed to be shelf warming? It's not like no, no, they do. No, they it's working retail in the nineties. Well, no, I'm just saying I don't remember seeing any Encanto toys until it kind of blew up. So this is kind of like well, they should have they should have told the retailers, okay, uh, yeah, this is going to take up some space in your warehouse, but give it three, four months, and <laughs> boom, all the kids are going to be singing these songs. So. I still think one of the biggest, but the thing, going back to what, why Wish failed, a big comment a lot of reviews said that it was way too safe and bland a movie to be all that interesting. No. It kind of filed off all the interesting edges the story could have had. Yeah, I, I, could, I could see that being an issue, but right. this is a, again, back to pitch meeting, this is a celebration of 100 years, and it's kind of like, yeah, we're going to... We're gonna make sure everybody knows it's a knows a celebration of hundred years. So we're gonna have to sand off the uh, rough edges. But then, but that wouldn't seem to even be appropriate to bring do a Disney movie that isn't scary or has any really mature themes to it. Well, for. yeah, but look, I'm just saying that. I mean, if you want to evoke Sleeping Beauty, then well, go all here, the way. Well, here, here's what I'm going with as a kid. I kind of, growing up with the Disney classics, sham, um, clamshell cases, like, there were times as a kid, of course, not knowing anything, not knowing anything, and no, this isn't fun, I would probably have just zoned out from the, um, kids turning into donkeys like well this isn't cool i'm gonna just focus on my transformers i mean, i'm just like that that's what i'm kind of getting at like okay bambi's mom's dead has bambi's mom died yet all right so let's get on to all the flirty stuff with the animals and their future and yeah i'll probably zone out once the fire starts i know how this ends i've seen it a million times so that's why I'm saying, like, yeah, I, I can see why you saw things off. But, you know, 12 minutes there. Let's, uh, we got a 43 minutes of the card, memory card. So let's uh, keep a moving. And I would say let's go, but that was a interesting thing. Like, I learned about the Paramount WBD merger through wrestling news, basically, because... WBD has put NXT, the WWE developmental brand, on the CW. And there's rumors that, well, if that Warner connection, obviously the WWE is going to take the AEW channels um, in oh. bidding wars. But so that's what, and basically, and WBD can do whatever they want once they get Paramount. And then it's kind of like, an argument of well, but AEW is just so much cheaper. What what would David Zasloff go with? So, um, so I I just don't know right now with the, uh, you know, 
I mean, it's great that Paramount will be on movies anywhere, so I can get all my Paramount stuff on my iTunes account instead of having, like, well, where did I put this? Voodoo, Amazon. Um, and then, you know, when is WBD just going to make one app, period? And, you know, I kind of dug the separate media conglomerates. Like, I kind of dug, like, I bought this one, I bought this one, I bought this one. And, you know, other things like, were we really big about the Disney 20th century merger just because it was a punch to Ro um, Roger Ailes in the far right? Like, this is what you have happens when you spend all your money on news. Or was it really just about getting these Star Wars and X-Men back? Well, I found out about the possibility of a merger between Warner Brothers and Paramount by way of looking at the trade websites. I just wanted to look up information about how the box office has been doing lately. But, no, I'm not thrilled with this news. And there are a lot of reasons why. Um, the Disney-Fox merger has largely ended in tears thus far. It's meant a lot of movies got tossed away or didn't reach their full potential. And part of it is, of course, that COVID did compromise some of the, like, 2021 releases in particular. But there's a lot that was lost that Disney was not going to treat well and was not going to, or was not going to take potential full advantage of in a way they might have if they'd been wiser with it. Yep, I thought New Mutants would have had something. <laughs> and... I can only see the WB Paramount merger ending similarly sadly. I mean, it's agreed that WB is the bigger fish of the two. Yes. Both of them are bearing a lot of debt, though. And, you know, Zaslav and company, they are willing to chop off limbs if they have to, to get tax breaks, mm -hmm. or otherwise it's going to be harder to get projects greenlit. Even though you would think, in the wake of the strike action and the failures streaming have seen so far in turning a profit the way physical media or cable could, or once did. Yeah, so let's say cable is, I mean, you even said it, hotels are now just putting Pluto TV in. Well, Weston was anyway, oh, okay. by the, you know, they're fairly high end. Yes. But alongside uh, your option to sign into your Netflix or your well, YouTube. Or well, whatever. I mean, it was, um, was it Hyatt or Hilton that had the, um, I think it was to Hyatt when we went to C2E2. Right. Let it, let ever, just basically said, go stream yourself. Yeah, stream, stream stuff. That is becoming more common. Okay. Of course, they've still got the over-the-air cable channels. Well, yeah, that's, time. that's DirecTV's thing. And I think, uh, as long as there isn't a fat, as long as Comcast can get in on whatever the next fast internet's going to be, uh, but, um, they won't need cable. Honestly. But going by results of mergers as recent as Disney Fox, you end up seeing lots of projects canceled. Some of them get a reprieve later, like uh, Blue Sky when Blue Sky Studios was shut down and Disney didn't want anything to do with Nimona. That movie got rescued over at Netflix. 
maybe not with the kind of ex wide exposure it could have had under a standalone Fox, but it's still got out there at least. Mm -hmm. Well, with the um, mergers, again, this is my biggest frustration with this being the year-end episode. It's like, I might better catch up on some year-end movies, obviously. Um, I mean, I had to make some side tracks. I uh, recently watched uh, A Dangerous Method because we got to give Cronenberg a chance to get the number get the number one discovery of the year. He's won the 2021, and no, he won the 2020 and the 2021 Phil Tippett won the 2022, but now I just feel sad. It's kind of like there's no physical mad god. Um, but uh, so Dangerous Method, very good. Uh, very awkward play, though, is what I would say about that. I mean, Cronenberg's direction is excellent. He can still make the sex scenes look cool. It's not about having sexy sex scenes. It's about cool sex scenes uh, with Cronenberg. Um, and then I watched, uh, St. Maude too, and the suggestion of a film for dying, worth dying, uh, worth fighting for, slash, uh, Mind on Fire, John Romeo, guess on the, uh, Exorcist, uh, Marathon episode. Uh, but, alright, well, and then I'm also picking up steel books when I see them now at, uh, my current retailer. <laughs> and it's like, well, there's the Mario one, so it's like, I gotta watch the movie anyhow. And then, well, my dad's got Peacock for the football game last night. And he's keeping it for the Premier League and such. It's like, all right, I can watch Mario Brothers because it's universal. It'll be on Peacock. And this is where I'm saying, where the movie, where the hell are the movies? It's like they've licensed it to Netflix right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everything ends up on Tubi and Pluto a lot faster than I ever thought. I mean, I've seen movies from this year already on, you know, like, oh, maybe I'll buy that one. It sounds cheesy, like uh, Death Count, um, a Saw knockoff, which went to the trouble of actually getting Costas Mandalore to play Jigsaw, essentially. Um, so it's like, I just, uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is licensing should be for Pluto and Tubi only. <laughs> Let's not, I don't want to go and buy everybody. <laughs> Right. I want to pick and choose, which is the biggest problem with the merger, is, like, it's mm -hmm. everybody again. Yeah. But, you ask, where are the movies? And I think that's a like, question a lot of theater exhibitors have been asking lately. That's true, too, because it didn't seem I like I was going to make a... had to make a lot of work to go and see yeah. the must-sees of 2023. Right. But right now, we're coming off of Christmas weekend mm -hmm. which they count as four day this year because right. you know christmas day today is monday and really you should call it a five day since you open your movies on thursday anyhow and they generally just fold that into whatever friday take uh, okay is. all right but i'm okay i mean they'll they'll, li they'll listen it's really what it did the, that first night but when you're only doing like two or three screenings yeah that gen, and not every theater does that anyway but it, a big complaint has been lately in the wake of both COVID and then the strike action delaying a lot of stuff. A lot of theater exhibitors are wondering when are we going to get some real big movies here? Because it is true that this holiday season we did not get 
anything like an Avatar or uh, Star Wars, anything that would really get everybody rushing to the theater right mm. away. I mean, there were hopes that something like the Marvels or Aquaman 2 or Wish was going to be that movie. That was one that a lot of people thought Wish was going to be really big. I, I had I had I had expected high high expectations. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just uh, dealing with yeah. our right wing mom. Mom basically said, oh, "The Marvels the first real bomb bomb of," uh, and it's like, and I've heard nothing but good things from everybody who's seen the movie, not the critics. Everybody who's you know all the people who, who tell me, "Yeah, you got to get around to it." Too bad it it bombed. Um, uh, then it's like, who wants to watch a superhero movie about three women? And it's like, well, we got to get the 40, 48% of the country to really catch up with the world if that's their response to why a movie bombed. Well, Marvel should not have done as badly as it did. Remember, even Ant-Man 3 had a pretty big opening weekend. Yeah, no, the... the the opening weekend, that one does, like, it just kind of sucks that everything is dependent on the opening weekend now. I mean, you can have a movie that finishes number two and might have some staying power. We did, it's not totally impossible. It wasn't enough to be profitable, but Elemental managed to leg it out. Yes, that's... In a way that a lot of people notice. Mm-hmm. Right now... What's really interesting to look at is not only that a lot of the expected major players bombed very badly, keeping in mind that the two superheroes movies I mentioned in Wish all cost at least $200 million a piece to produce, probably at least another $100 million in marketing and in merchandising. Look, a movie really shouldn't get more than... I mean, well, I don't know. It's kind of tough when it comes to some visual effects uh, monstrosity. Uh, $200 million is the norm. But anything else, $30 million should be the max budget. You, I don't know. I, you look at something like Godzilla Minus One, what, a yes. really exceptional film, mm-hmm. costing about $15 million. Well, I'm, I live in America, Rory. I, everything costs more. But it is, be, but it, it is becoming some kind of a lot. Of, I agree with people. Are, this has to be some kind of money laundering scam at that point. Oh, you take a look at how Wish's animation looks, and you wonder where the two hundred million dollars. I well, okay, no, I will actually stand <laughs> with that on animation, especially computer animation, which is very, very, you know. All you need is to create one Shrek, and then you get five of them. <laughs> so, yes, I, I do agree with that. But when I'm talking about your Aquamans and your Marvels, those are going, you know. And then you're going to say, and your Ant-Mans. And like, but let's just face it. Money laundering has been very prevalent in Hollywood since the, I mean, as they pointed out on the on his trailers 2023 when Warner Brothers was owned by the mob. Money laundering has been there for a while. I think the last profitable movie was Death Warrant. 
Otherwise, all the accountants say Return of the Jedi lost money. That's what I'm saying. Like the laundering is so, like so is beyond apparent. But people. But Xavier's asking, where are the movies? A lot of them are, I'm sure, are still sore that WB decided that if they were going to move a movie from this year, it was going to be Dune Part 2. Because mm. everyth- everything on the street said that was going to be really big. I, I don't know, because I just, it, I know... I think it still ha- has a chance opening in the spring. They've... They released a third full-length trailer just recently. They are really high. They clearly are really high on that movie. Okay, but I I don't know. I, again, it's like I I do notice that the studios are definitely putting more targeted support behind the movies they really think are going to get out there. Because looking at Wonka, that I was reading an article. I think it was in Deadline, and it was talking about how. There wasn't one bit of the whole WB Discovery family that didn't get some kind of tie-in to Wonka at some point. Like the NBA on TNT. That like halftime thing where Shaq and company guess how many candies are in the jar. Oh, so game. I work so many I work Food so Network did I know I'm some of obviously I Cartoon Network I, did stuff. Well I worked TCM did a night where they showed the nineteen seventy one movie. I work so some, I work so many jobs it's kind of like um, I couldn't tell you if AEW got in on it too. I do not think they got in on it. I don't know. <laughs> they get in a lot of they get into a lot of weird things like uh the um It's just that Shazam Fury of the Gods rechristening tying that to the rechristening of the All Atlantic Championship mm-hmm. to um the International Championship in Winnipeg. Tony Khan needs to learn how to cut a promo. He owns AEW and you can just tell he's a freaking mark. Uh, but when are you going to come back to Champagne? Are you too good for your home, Tony Khan? Okay. But what Warner Brothers really did full court press for Wonka, and they might as well have just taken Aquaman and Lost Kingdom off to the farm to be shot for how little they promoted that film. Well, I don't we know. We didn't get the trailer until September. That's true. We, well, they had to figure out how to cut out Amber Heard. We we didn't we ha- didn't really have television ads. I would go like on YouTube or Oh, I your I smart got... your smart your smart TVs called uh, well, screen you don't... or that and you would see it. You would see them putting up ads for stuff like Wonka and the color purple. But not Aquaman. Well, I don't know. I think you're you don't divulge as much information to the um, data collectors. Like Google knows me. I got plenty of chances to see Patrick Wilson and and uh, Jason Momoa develop in a bromance. And I saw the trailer about everything, and I see more movies in the you know end of the year anyhow. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So. But what- we're getting is that we've had a bunch of huge movies flop and the only thing I see is kind of the upside is that the modest but still significant success of something like Godzilla Minus One or The Boy and the Heron or the growing popularity of Bollywood movies getting limited runs in places like AMC theaters and the growing number of Fathom events or similar projects like Taylor Swift and Beyonce concert films 
is that we're finally getting some kind of variety back in beavers again. It's the best case scenario is that we're going to see more eggs in more baskets again if studios can get their act together and not just lean on one or two IP like a crutch. Well, I don't know. And the problem is that I don't think super mergers like Warner Brothers and Paramount are going to help. But that's it's what the, the small projects that get lost first, but like Coyote versus Acme. Yes, you've heard right. about. Yeah, but like in that case, like everybody related to the film or who had seen the film because they had been doing they had been doing focus group yes. screenings said this it was a really fun movie did not cost that much to make and probably would have done well especially given that Warner Brothers has struggled for a long time to find new things to do with get these older IPs like Looney Tunes back in the public eye, and they blew it. Well, it's... Well, I mean, it's all just going to have to be another head at the... Uh... I mean, the, the key is cutting off the uh, head of the beast. And yes, we're just going through so many... Incom- so many um, bean counters right now are at the top. Uh, I mean, you just got to go back to what it, what Hollywood really started, you know, what changed Hollywood, and that was United Artists. The instead of the studios, you know, which yes, they may that may have also been their demise. Michael Cimino. Um, it's a lot more complicated than that. It what? had as much to do. With just being the straw that broke the canvas back well, after I, Transamerica acquired United. No, no, no. I get, I get that. But the entire, the entire thing it is that the top needs to be the creative types, not the bean counters. And you know, if you're willing to lose so much money anyhow, David Zasloff, <laughs> you know, if you're clever enough, you know, just get a good accountant, and um, I think you can fix everything. So we got eleven minutes. So what? So what would you say is the must-see movie that you found this year? Doesn't have to be from twenty twenty-three. I would not be able to limit it down to one. I mm. saw a lot of exceptional movies okay. this year in all sorts of places. All right, no, and that's that's actually cool. I was just trying to see if I could make it a little easier on myself with the movie chatter. Um, okay, so if you were gonna. Just off the top of your head, then create a uh, little movie marathon. Pick any theme you'd like. No, I couldn't do that either. Hmm. Like, okay. So, um, okay then, um, at the very least, you can help the the multiplex that is Sassoff Cinema House and the Palladium. They currently have a grill, bar, and massaging chairs as amenities at their theater. Everybody's got toilets. Everybody's got a 4K projector. What do you think you would add to that? Yeah. Wow, the Six Raven movie house, or the murder movie house, as I like to joke about my theater, has popcorn, snack bar, and seats with trays, like they have up in Rosemont. Trays more of a hassle than a help. Okay. Of course, I'm not eating huge amounts of food at those places either. Mm. So, 
Well, with that said, then I guess what I would add to mine is because I still support the idea of BYOB. I'm going to make it fun. And let's make it even more fun with competitions. Arcade. Oh, you know there's had to have been at least some Chuck E. Cheese-like experiences. So experiences at movie theater arcades. Some skee-ball fighting. You know, not skee-ball. It's always air hockey, I suppose. So, well, then... Not gonna really pull up a marathon element then. Um, let me say I got you a hard out. Um, basically, the amount of space on this. Um, so you you definitely you saw it back when we were in Rosemont. Um, teenage the only movie I was able to find really <laughs> on all these streaming services. I like Paramount Plus. I will say that so. Um, was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Mm -hmm. um, and you you explained why I might have thought, like, eh, this is a little too inside baseball. But the fact that they had the kids who played the turtles. Yeah, recording their lines with each other, getting a riff off each other. It does make a difference with, if you're trying to do fun comedy banter type dialogue, especially when... At this point, it's become so overdone in Marvel and, to a lesser extent, DC movies. Yeah, that was the biggest problem with Robert Downey Jr. being Iron Man. Mm -hmm. Like, when you go back to... Did Ben Stiller write the line? Didn't you guys read the scripts? <laughs> I don't read the script. The script reads me. Is, um, like... Because I, I know how much Robert Downey Jr. doesn't really read go off the script right like um why where is like dang it there is where the real money is the christopher guest cinematic universe like if we're gonna go full improv let's just put him in charge of a superhero franchise ah i mean so there we go there um i just thought with uh now you we're actually talking watching uh what if um on Disney Plus. Yes, the second season. Yes, and um, what I'm pointing out, you said at one point, I really don't look, dig the cell shaded uh, mm -hmm. elements of it, and it's like of the animation style. And honestly, I'm that was something that took me a while to adjust to with uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem. No, I found the style different, but charming. Yes, it, it's indeed charming, but as I say, it's it's very in your face. Like you notice it. Well, yes. The 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 like intentional the, yeah, kind of squishy look. Right to begin with, and you know, it takes about an hour before it's like, oh, now it just all looks looks great. No, I I adjusted to that right away. I I do think high frame rates are overrated in a lot oh, of animation. Yes, I. Like, slowing it down like that, or in something like uh, the Spider-Verse films, it, come, it can come to very visually pleasing results. Mm -hmm. There's a personality... They, it allows more personality to come through in the art, especially. I No, that, that is definitely... I mean, the, the hyper-glossy look can work. Pixar's made it work many times. And well, it's kind of illumination's bread and butter at this yeah, point. Yeah, I but. go... I, yeah, I don't like that it really took over. 
Like, if I want, I, I like cell shading. I like, I like the, um, excellent, uh, Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.11 price upon a time. Um, mer merging between of the uh, really laying, like, just looks beautiful doing cell shading over uh, computer generated. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the uncanny valley comes when you see the ray head, giant ray heads, and it's like, okay. Because kind of, it really does turn into End of Evangelion uh, with a few extra characters. But the. It's like, okay, we've hit the Uncanny Valley. Why did you not just go and do another cel-shaded effect instead of, like, let's, you know, give a hyper-glossy character? Well, the hyper-glossy look was one reason I could never fully adjust when Disney's in-house productions, as opposed to what Pixar does, went to the full CGI. Well, that's, that's why I'm saying I'd rather they be more on the cel-shaded side. Well... They were, I know they were trying to experiment with that in Wish, but it looks so half-hearted. Well, I'm just saying, you know. That, and it still won't get rid of the kind of cookie-cutter designs and the way the characters move. Especially since it just doesn't... It looks very canned and phony. Oh, uh, I don't know. It's problem, it's problem entangled or frozen, too. I, I don't know. I mean, I... I kind of like when a studio has their style. And, I mean, that's the best thing you're going to get from Disney with a 3D style, is what uh, what you're talking, what, you know, those... But you look at a studios like DreamWorks that manage to develop a house style that they can very subtly tweak from film to I, film. I, I don't know about that because DreamWorks, I don't really. Do they really have a full blown animation studio, or is it because it just seems? Again, what I'm saying is, you just end up not it's having your own style. Like Illumination, you can tell an Illumination movie. Um, like I thought that was a flaw with DreamWorks was it's like, okay, yeah, it does a lot more, but it doesn't really do your brand any good. Well. I don't think we should focus so much on branding. There is something to be said for more creator-driven work, especially now, when it seems audiences are starting to prefer stuff that has a strong creative vision behind it again. I was look one movie I had just seen as part of my run of watching movies that have some relation to Christmas is one of DreamWorks's bigger flops, which was 2012's Rise of the Guardians. Mm. If for those not familiar with that film... Did they have Black Pete? That was a robot chicken skit. No, no, they did <laughs> Where, yeah, Santa's being helped out by Black Pete. The, uh, Dane, the, uh, Norwegian... Nah. No, this Santa has yetis. Okay, the Dutch, the, the, the Dutch servant... Right, that kids, I know that story. Yes, kids still are encouraged to play or blackface. And we're talking minstrel-style blackface. Oh, all right. But I look yeah. at something like Rise of the Guardians, where there are certainly aspects of the CGI that you can match up to the kind of stuff they were doing in other films at the time, like the Shrek movies. Were they... But, was DreamWorks at the Owls of Calhoun? What? what wasn't there, like, the Owls of Cal Calhoun or something movie? Or am I getting, like... Hold on. 
Legends of the Guardians. Um, the Owls of Cut. That Company. was a Warner Brothers. Project. Oh, okay. that was a Zack Snyder project. Oh, great. When, like, jeez, now I gotta check the year yeah, on that. It's all like. Those movies with similar titles probably didn't help anybody's chances. Yeah, but. but uh, 2010, I guess we, if, we weren't totally. Yeah, but looking at. Zack Snyder doesn't know what he's doing. But looking at Rise of the Guardians was interesting because that came out in 2012. Yeah. What struck me is that that's the, that movie is the kind of flop like Kubo and the Two Strings where you see where. Then a f- just a few years later, you see everybody's been ripping off those movies because who's going to tell? Well, yes. Because yeah. it's shocking to look at Rise of the Guardians from the from eleven years on, eleven years on, and see just how much of how they depict the magic effects, and particularly the snow and ice, Jack Frost, and how similar but much less interesting to look at in a lot of cases. It that goes with the Frozen movies, which did begin the following year in 2013, but it's well known that Frozen was very heavily retooled relatively late in production. Oh, okay. To the point that there were lines of dialogue in the final trailer that were, were, were actually from earlier cuts when Elsa was more of a villain. Yes. Okay. And you do wonder, or for that matter, something like Wish, in which it had... It's also dealing with a somewhat complicated system of magic, but in a way that makes more logical sense and yep. has more point to it. Ironically, Chris Pine is the male lead in both of these movies. Just just watch the Honest trailer for Wish, and I think you'll get where Rory's coming from. Not the Honest trailer. The uh, oh, I'm sorry, the pitch meeting. Now available on video cassette. All right, so I'm making like a little documentary. Oh, it's like it's a like, movie, but nobody has any lines, and nobody even knows what it is while they're making it. Mm. No. Mm. Tell me about what's life like. It's pretty much common knowledge that it takes at least twenty shells to have a community. My cousin fell asleep in a pocket, and that's why I don't like the saying "everything comes out of the wash," because sometimes it doesn't, or sometimes it does, and they're just like a completely different person. So it's actually only two of us now. Myself and my grandmother, Nana Connie. We like to watch 60 Minutes because Leslie Stahl is fearless. Nana, make the noise. Sometimes I find my mind wandering, thinking, what would my family think? Do you think they could be out there? Marcello. Forget about being afraid. Just take the adventure. Okay, let, let's do it. Hi, everybody. It's Marcel. I'm recording this video because I'm looking for my family. Marcel the Shell and the search for a family reunited. Marcel, how long has it been since you've seen your family? I couldn't tell you, but a space in my heart gets bigger and louder every day. Mm. Dean, do you know how long? That's two years. Two years. Yeah. Oh, that's nice to know. There's so many places that they could be. 
Marcel the shell with shoes on. You are beautiful. There must be so many others like me. He has got to go. Not that I don't like Arthur. Not that. No! Oh my god! Arthur. No! No! Arthur! Ah! I just didn't think so many people were going to think the same thing. Oh, uh, I... I don't know. That's what, I mean. stru- that's what struck me. Is that, you know, I, I look at the plots of these Disney movies and I see, well, this isn't for me, but I see where this kind of thing speaks to a lot of people. And I thought, well, obviously Wish is going to do it for some, at least some folks, and it didn't. Well, I, I again, I, I really think the problem for Disney is that um, parents, it's Disney Plus, parents basically know, well, they can throw this on, they don't have to rush the kids out, and they're not. Like, I was surprised they didn't just decide to do a Christmas Day drop for Wish. Oh, no, I know that, that wasn't what they wanted. They wanted the movie to run into the spring, go back to the longer release window, which not only is not working, but shortly after Wish came out, they announced they were going to bring some of the Pixar movies that were streaming only releases to theaters over the next few months. Mm. Well, Starting with Soul next month. Oh, yeah. I mean... And obviously they're trying to keep... They have to keep the theater keep the theater owners happy and they have to be providing that movies and because they have so little in 2024 and a lot of it isn't even going to appeal to families like another alien movie or the latest i don't know where they are with planet of the apes at this point but they have something related to that yes they yeah. they they i i'm aware of that that basically they're going with the uh, trying to create a new series after caesar Right. Um, so that's... Because um, the I, only other releases I can think of offhand that Disney's got for 2024 are Inside Out 2, Deadpool 3, and the prequel to the remake of The Lion King. Yeah. That is not a lot to go on. Well, um... Especially given that no one liked The Lion King remake. I'm sure kids like The Lion King. <laughs> this is going back to knickknacks, so we need rated K for kids. I mean, who needed tet? Who would who would even need tet test audiences if you just put those little bastards in? This one I like. This one I like. Intercourse, you, Roger Ebert, and Gene Siskel. Um, so it's kind of uh, I don't know. It's it's kind of like when. I think Disney, again, as I say, I think it's solely the plaque that now that they have Disney Plus that's just basically let the kids catch up on and we'll throw it on there and let the kids catch on it. As I say, Strange World is, according to the screen drafts, one of the top 26 Disney animated features of all time. I'm just not seeing. I'm just saying the the, the kids, they're, uh, I mean... Who really like is the eighteen to forty nine demo even a thing now? Because like, I think we're to the point where kids are just where the money is. Well, that doesn't seem to have been the case this fall. No, but I'm just saying it's like well, parents know how to know know the kids are going to get it at some point anyhow. But yes, it is that is a legitimate problem, especially because 
B.O. Boys uh, podcast has a lot has had a lot of interesting things to say on that topic lately. Mm, why, why exactly it's been an uphill battle for children's films. But when it comes to, like, what do the cinema guys want to offer? We've already, gosh, tweet, put on massa on how many bad movie-going experiences I've had. Like, <laughs> theaters have to straighten up. Like, Champagne, there's only two movie theaters that constantly are running stuff. <laughs> and we have the Virginia Theater, which is a theater ran by the Park District, essentially. <laughs> Otherwise, if we went old movies, we lost the art theater. Um, so you'd have to go to the normal theater. And how, how much can they operate on that kind of thing? And then when you go to normal, you only have two multiplexes again. Mm-hmm. Like, we're losing movie houses to begin with. Yeah. It's kind of... Like, everybody just tells me, well, if you really want to watch a movie in Champaign-Urbana, you make the 20, 30-minute drive to Gibson Cities for their drive through <laughs> And, of course, that's not open year-round. Right. Um, so as I say, bad pop. You go to a movie theater, it's like, yeah, we're out of popcorn. It's ba- it's popping. <laughs> it's like, no, this should be something you like. You just acknowledge the loss on big popcorn. The price that you're charging you that you're not losing any money on it. So, but um, so it looks like the I misread the amount of memory I have on this. Um, so, let's see. Now, I know you can't pick one movie from this year. Can you pick three? No. If you were going to pick a movie to build a marathon around. No. All right, here's a question then. Is the marathon concept a little too difficult for people to wrap their head around? Because I did have a past guest say, okay, so how are we going to do this? Well, we do, you, you pick three, we pick one main event movie, we pick three movies beneath that, six, eight, and ten, and then a response was, so is this like a commentary track? So, I don't know. Not enough people are nerdy enough to listen to movie podcasts, I suppose. Or, I don't know, maybe not have enough time for podcasting. Which I don't get. What really throws me off is people like, oh, I got a YouTube channel on top of my podcast. And it's like, you know, I kind of like podcasting that I can listen to while I'm doing stuff, you know. Not, let's watch the talking heads. (laughs) For, but you you seem to dig it with VHS party or not or Saturday morning cartoons mm-hmm. like what do you think about the multi um, uh, format that people do po- um, you know recording their podcast on video and audio I have no real problem with that well as you say I just have the thing like why am I watching Talking Heads when I'm really there for the audio? I mean, I guess with um, Found Footage Festival, they have the advantage that you kind of need to see what's going on. But I just run into a lot of other podcasts that are just like YouTube. is where you should watch us. I don't know. Probably easier feedback platform, I guess. So... Yeah, 
So I guess it's up to me to break down the 10 best discoveries. Did watch Evil Dead Rise last night, and it was good, but it's like... Just placing Evil Dead in a new situation isn't really... But a sequel potential. Like, not as good as the remake, I guess I'll say on that. So... Now I'll just run through my diary real fast, see if we got any feedback. And come on, get back to... On the way back. On the way back. Okay. Oh, Alright. So... Let's see, what did I get out of January? Well, we did get the uh, Buckaroo Banzai podcast. But yeah, not really anything I would scream that you need to see. Um, Bullet Train may have been the best movie from January that I watched. Um, but it did kind of get me on the start of a, a try-hard... Um, I wanted to do more try-hard movies this year, thanks to the bad movie Bible on YouTube. So I did see movies like Cyberjack and Top of the World. Top of the World, a lot of potential. It had, uh, I mean, Peter Weller versus David uh, Dennis Hopper. Joey Pants is in there. Basically, Die Hard in a Vegas Casino, which was basically New York, New York. I can tell you that much. But falls flat. Yeah, surprise on the movie Columbus Circle. But then February, I pretty much, like, after B-Fest, I really needed time to <laughs> chill. But big discovery from B-Fest, I would say, would, would have been Big Man Japan. And uh, Streets of Fire definitely <laughs> needs more love. All right. And then in March, I had the attempt to complete the entire Chris Jericho sub-100 minute movie uh, uh, filmography, and I had a guest walk out on that one, but Death of Stalin was pretty fun. Yeah, alright, John Wick Chapter 4, I know everybody will say, oh, and then nobody, nobody is really good. And, no, April was probably my first great month with, uh, the unbearable bearable weight of massive talent and uh, just old people acting tough with nobody in John Wick 4. Uh, Redfield was, could have been a little campier. Uh, Red Line, though, an anime that is kind of like what, uh, what the latest What If we watched was. So kind of a pre... Predecessor. So, alright, we got Red Line. Haven't gotten a five star movie yet. Streets of Fire. And I'll say nobody because John Wick Chapter 4 is just long. Uh, Banshees in his. Oh, Marcel, the, sh- the Shell with Shoes. Have you gotten around to that one yet? No. Alright. Check out the Apple TV, then I have that purchase. So, Marcel is the first five-star I saw this year, so I guess that will give, um, gives it the lead. July, Dunkirk was the movie I found that really surprised me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that is what, um, that's what Christopher Nolan should be selling, is experience movies. Well, yes. 
but I would not. That does not seem to be what Oppenheimer is to me. Just because you nukes, uh, you really do great nuking. Well, it certainly had the response of an event. Yes. People came to see that movie, and Universal did a great job marketing it. It yeah. was a big thing you had to see on big screen in big theater. And that, that's what I mean by there does seem to be more of a push for creator driven stuff again. Well, I mean, it's, it was mainly selling itself on being a Christopher Nolan historical epic, and well, that's all. And, and Barbie, though, that, yes, that, that, that was a... Yes, I'm meaning stuff like that, or even something like Wonka, which is unmistakably the guy who did the Paddington movies, but it's not just the same old thing. All right, so big movie for me from October ended up being uh, Altered States. Mm-hmm. It was on Criterion Channel next month as part of the Ken Russell program. So I finally sat and watched Evil Dead 2, and that was excellent. Which I think is what problem with the Evil Dead remake and the Evil Dead Rise is like, we're not, we're really just going for the scares here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, alright, so Evil Dead 2, the Marcel, the show with shoes, uh, Dunkirk, I'm going to go and say nobody, oh, Sisu. That was a lot of fun. From the man, from the guy who gave you Kate Blanchett's favorite Christmas movie, Rare Exports. Um, Saw X deserves a, a lot of love. I guess it could be considered too long, you know, shouldn't be the number one because it is the longest Saw movie, which they were selling as a point. But really delivers... Oh, and last month I finally got around to X, and it's like, I can't, you know, I, stupid showtime. Why is that even a thing anymore? Just put, put Pearl on Paramount Plus, please. And December, yeah, you got a Dangerous Method and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, Mutant Mayhem. So. Yeah, we're gonna have to go and do a top five, I guess. Um, that's a tough one. The number, well, screw it. The tough one is the biggest problem. Top one is, is it going to be X, or is it going to be Marcel, the shell with shoes? Uh, that um, hmm. I think X has enough on its um, enough mythology behind it by this point. The fact they did two movies pretty much on the budget of one movie. And I mean, I think that's probably what's going to make Jenny Ortega a Scream Queen, not the Scream series, which I don't think she's coming around for seven anyhow. <laughs> so yeah, I guess um, Marcel, the show with shoes. So, going from David Cronenberg horror movies to now a couple of animated movies. It is nice that we don't have horror really related in this one. Just um, a very touching performance from, uh, oh, jeez, Isabella Rosalini as Grandma Shell. So, all right. So, 
Any of those that it, Marcel or uh, X, anything you would watch? Not really. Not even Marcel. Like the cute little. I love her. <laughs> Reading the YouTube tale. I love her. What? What? Her? I'm not a, I'm not a girl. <laughs> Just the fun genderless shells and, well, gendered shells. So. I guess the important thing is you don't need genitalia now to be a good movie, as Barbie pointed out. <laughs> like, I guess, um, what did you give Barbie? Four and a half. Okay. Yeah. They have the same, same there, so. So, otherwise, I really just have to get up to see Wonka, because I could bend the rules for that one, since, oh, it's inspired by some 100-minute movies. Well, movie. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't matter. I do probably need to watch Charlie and the Chocolate Factory again. But, I don't know, maybe Charlie and the Chocolate Factory should have just been... Was too late for um, Johnny Depp to be Wonka? I don't know. Because, I mean... I can see Timothy Chalamet eventually, like, from the roles he has played, eventually being sharp and kind of cynical, like Gene Wilder. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we were just past that when it came to Johnny Depp for... Because that was a weird time. Like, I think Johnny Depp's last Johnny Depp role was Ed Wood, or at least respectable one. No, that's not fair. Well, what I'm saying is that from afterwards, Johnny Depp is trying to be some... Like, people worry about Tom Hardy. Like, I have to make every character so much different. Tom Hardy is not a thing. Like, Johnny De- Like, when you see go to see a Bill Murray movie, you're going to see Bill Murray, is what I'm saying. You're not wanting him to be... You want to see Bill Murray. And I think uh, Johnny Depp abandoned, well, and perhaps a good thing with well, after the uh, Amanda Heard situation, his real self. So, all right. So Wonka is the, the must-see, I suppose. Well, Marcel the Shell with Shoes is the must-see. So, um... So we're still trying to wait on a blue sky invitation, or have you found threads or anything like no. that? Okay, no social media for the poetic critic, just letterbox. Are you afraid? Because I think a lot of people are saying letterboxes start kind of start in bringing TV into it, not just individual right specials. I, right, uh, I'm not really paying attention to that. Okay, and you can uh, of course follow the podcast. Uh, my uh, Twitter account at this point is at CatBusRuss. Uh, I'd really want everybody to join the Twitter migration to Mastodon, so follow me there at RussStevens at Mastodon.social. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can, if you want to fill your house with the dulcet tones of the of Cat Bus Russ, ask your Amazon Echo or Google Nest device to play podcast by Cat Bus Russ, and it'll bring you to the show. Get off the Podbean feed. Go with the one with the crazy cat, not my crazy little doodles. Uh, if you're looking for the picture to find the right podcast. 
And I uh, need to thank us, you know, Station Marie Harden for making this year work out pretty well for the show. I know the numbers aren't what they were because of the change over to Spotify for podcasters, a free service. And I really should hit them up for those, that kind of advertisement. Um, but yes, Station's kept an eye on me, keep me relatively uh, grounded. And I hope she's doing the same for everybody else she touched in her life. And I hope she's annoying the... It's just... It was always fun to just annoy the one-eared angel Skimble Shanks the cat. And recently I found out too many people know about Cats the musical. Like, talking about Skimble. Is his name Skimble Shanks? How cute is he? That's the best cat. So, <sighs> his legacy is... Overrated, but he was a fine little fella. So, thanks for listening to the 90 for Chilled podcast in 2023, and we will be back in 2024 and new format, but you know, same bollocks. <laughs> Thank you to the poetic critic. It's Christmas, Theo. It's the time of miracles, so be of good cheer and call me when you hit the last lock. How long have you been doing this? Just over a year. What were you doing before? I worked in a hospital. What made you leave? It's what God wanted. What's going on, Katie? Come on, you can tell me. Back then I was so lost. But now I am transformed. And soon... physically in me. May the Lord bless and keep you joy. As suggested by Jonathan Romeo from our Possessed Films Marathon, I've completed every feature from that by watching... Uh, Saint Maud from 2019. It's another A24 horror, so definitely and definitely elevated. It's really rather subtle. I mean, just a battle of trying to stand by your faith, which is really more of just a means to. Well, basically, faith is the purpose of. Katie, or should we say Maud? She's a nurse who ended up having a patient die on her watch, virtually unemployable from there, so she changes her name to Maud, and through her recent conversion to Roman Catholicism, thinks she's serving a greater pur- purpose. And this purpose, per, eh, purse, eh, purpose, eh sorry, purpose, there we go, is to save the souls of the people she's watching in hospice care. And her latest assignment, or probably her first assignment, is Amanda, an American 
dancer uh, of fame who's suffering from spinal lymphoma. And, you know, thus the days are counting down. And Amanda, being an atheist, likes to have fun with Maud, Maud's faith, and virtually lives a lifestyle to flaunt against that while still calling Maud her savior. So it's not like she isn't appreciative of what Maud is doing for her. She just finds it amusing that somebody is going to give up human pleasure just as worship. And she had Maud has her fall from grace and eventually again through torment of abandoning God per se she decides she's reinvigorated and she is going to save the soul of Amanda if she likes it or not and it's not as simple as that I think when uh, Jonathan uh, was discussing that feature with me uh, it came across he made it sound like it was just a crazed Christian making a dying person have penance. Um, it's really not that. The The torture is of the mod character and the possession is not necessarily a possession. It's just more of the faith is trying to take her over in a sense. This is a weird... Uh, movie to follow up watching uh Cronenberg's a dangerous method because uh a big difference between Freud and Jung was Freud just saying like hey there's no supernatural stuff around it it kind of refers me to Woody Allen's Cafe Society where Jesse Eisenberg's brother in the feature a mobster going on, on death row converts to uh, Christianity just to have an afterlife because the Jews, hey, you know, it is what it is. Um, and I think, in a sense, atheists are very much in the same vein. Um, I mean, I, I myself try to... I don't have a God, but I think there's some kind of connection. So... Uh, I mean, I'd have to, it's so I'm a theist, I guess, but, you know, not a mono or, yeah, it's just the God thing is not important to me at all. Um, yeah, but, and I think, uh, as a Jewish culture and now I'm maybe overstepping my bounds. It's just, uh, after 2000 years, probably close to the 3000 years of suffering, um, they've just pretty much the, re a lot of people are just, again, as David Cross says, was your mother's vagina Jewish and, you know, it's just, they're living their lives essentially. And the entire title, um, and identity a lot seems to just be more of a burden, uh, since it's more of a race thing in that case. But I digress. I might be speaking out of my ass there. I'm just saying that when you have a religion that doesn't really teach you to uh, just, well, it's a great, it could be a great religion for making sure you're doing your best while you're living. 
but when you don't have that motivation, I think a lot of people need that to really embrace religion, I suppose. And again, kind of funny, uh, dated, uh, official girlfriends, um, after junior high, both of them have been Catholics and the Catholic guilt is real and, um, different experiences, different approaches, but, um, but enough about the Catholicism when it comes to the direction, it's, um, it's, re it's really solid. It's really minimalist. I would say there's uh, minimal special effects. Um, kind of, you know, playing off on like some of the Donnie Darko elements instead of a bunny, you might have a cockroach. So there's weird imagery like that. And it goes to some dark places and the direction by, and I really need to, it's uh two 30 in the morning. Really need to have more windows open. I would say that, um, the direction by, Thank you for your patience. Uh, okay, there we go. <laughs> Sorry, just going off the Google. So, uh, the direction of rose glass is very is is rather I mean competent, and the basically as I say, it takes takes images from that we've seen established in earlier horror, and I think really puts them in a better better place and i appreciate the story being a slow burn essentially we don't get any real mythical stuff aside from our uh, mod played by morphid clark um believing she's being put she's feeling the spirit in her much like stuff you see in youtube videos of televangelists um is her acting is great. Uh, the both actresses, uh, Jennifer, uh, Eel plays Amanda. Um, both, both deliver strong performances and you can see the antagonistic nature between them. Despite there's a sense that they both want to deny it. Uh, my, I guess the film kind of stumbles in a sense that, um, you have, you know, you go for a desperate, I would say, uh, Evil Dead or Exorcist moment right at the right before the uh, penultimate act, which we did, which is pretty well known. The um, self uh, uh, setting yourself on fire as a display of her faith. Um, it's a it's an interesting watch, um, and I would, you know, again, I hate watching movie. That's the only problem with streaming services is that you can get easily distracted. You really just need company when you watch movies. So, hey, ladies, I'm single. <laughs> I could use a fellow critic, but it would have been a great experience in the theater. Very much, you have to be locked in on this. I think you would definitely feel more of Maud's pain. And you just you just only get upset with yourself if you're not of the faith that you know you're really just doing this to yourself. It kind of makes it difficult to relate to the character, so um, or make her likable, I suppose. 
and that's really her goal so it's a further struggle it's a feeling that uh gets under your skin and that's the true horror of the feature can i hear a wahoo 